Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. We're here today with Amy K. Hamlin and Karen J. Leader. Amy K. Hamlin is Associate Professor of Art History at St. Catherine University and Karen J. Leader is Associate Professor of Art History at Florida Atlantic University. They are the co-founders of Art History That and are co-authoring the book Art History That Initiatives for the Future of a Discipline. And without any further ado, I'm going to hand the conversation over to these two. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Ellen. Hi, this is Karen. And this is and Amy. <laughs> I've been uh, asked to, to start things off by uh, talking about our name, Art History That, and uh, our engagement with language and how all of our, our work together as advocates kind of starts with uh, how we early on came together under this concept of the crisis in art history and the crisis in the humanities. And um, when we started having conversations with each other and how that relationship launched, we'll talk about a little bit later, but we realized that language really needed to be parsed, that there was kind of constant crisis and what did that mean? And um, we believe that language is affective, that is how you use language can change things. So we're very careful about the way we use language and we early on developed uh, what we call our keywords to borrow the phrase specifically from Raymond Williams, collaboration, crowdsourcing, community, collegiality, conversation. So all of those will be a little bit a part of, of our conversation today uh, as a way of sort of um, putting a frame around how we do our work as advocates for art history and for the humanities more generally by understanding that uh, words are not fixed in meaning that they have a kind of fluidity and they can be contested and that makes them more useful. So the first way we deployed that um, use of language is through our manifesto. Uh, cue Amy. <laughs> um, we also like that a lot of our keywords are, are alliterative. I'm not sure how that happened, but um, but they all seem to start with C, or many of them seem to start with C. Uh, we have a manifesto, as as Karen mentioned. This is Amy speaking. And our manifesto is actually inspired by um, a manifesto that many of your listeners will no doubt be familiar with, uh, Klaus Aldenberg's uh, 1961 manifesto, or non-manifesto, as the case may be, I am for an art. And so the first entry in his manifesto is I am for an art that is political, erotical, mystical, that does something other than sit on its ass in a museum. Um, we love the, the sort of playful insouciance of his, of his manifesto, of his text, as well kind of blended with, a, with an earnest earnesty, uh, urgency. Um, that marks um, that marks the entire text. What what our um, manifesto does, and how it's actually different from Oldenburg's, is that it is keyword uh, crowdsourced. Um, in promoting a participatory statement, we aim to both exhort and empower participants to claim art history for themselves and for the future. And we've actually gotten contributions from from folks who are new to art history that from from strangers um, as well as from our students from peers um, from colleagues in the field and certainly from from our mentors 
Um, and so we call our work together Art History That, for short. We love the declarative spirit of that phrase. Um, for example, when we learned recently of the anonymous gift to CAA to fund travel for Art History faculty and their students, we thought, oh, heck yeah, Art History That. <laughs> um, we also love the kind of tongue-in-cheek pretentiousness when you actually um, say A-H-A-H-T out loud, right? So it's all about art, darling. <laughs> um, so we want to keep we want to keep it playful. We want to keep it light. We also want to keep it um, very future-oriented. Um, and so we have three uh, key themes. Karen and I have identified three key themes for this conversation, and those themes are narrative, narrative and storytelling. Um, intersectionality is our second theme. And our third theme is community building. And we believe that these are fr three really fruitful themes to imagine advocacy uh, in our field. The words and themes we work from come out of what we think our history needs going forward, as well as the conversations we've had the work our colleagues are doing and the actions we've taken. We want to give people a sense of what they can do based on those keywords and themes. And so this uh, leads us to our first theme, which is which is narrative. Um, we think a theme that assumes something that especially us white people in the in the field could do a lot more of, namely deep listening. In our work together, Karen and I uh, try to be vigilant in exercising the discipline of listening, especially to absent narratives and historically marginalized voices. Yeah, and to that end, we have um, embarked since the beginning on what we call our listening tour. Mm -hmm. So we speak to uh, professionals in the field uh, in long form phone conversations where we take careful notes prompted by some ideas that we want to uh, derive from um, taking up some of these people's time. But we actually um, were really inspired very early on in this collaboration by the notion that the problem is not art history. The problem is not the humanities. We're just losing kind of the PR war. And uh, uh, we read an article by a couple of professors at Drury University called To Save the Humanities, Change the Narrative. And what they proposed was partly that the narrative of the humanities is a little bit of the St. Jerome and his study that we all work individually. And they proposed that, in fact, we need to think more collaboratively of uh, the of the the work that we do and how it works in the world. To go back to our manifesto for a second, I am for art histories, plural and contentious. I am for an art history that is accessible and unfathomable. So uh, the idea that art history, like any other discipline, isn't any one thing and it is done collaboratively and um, uh, um, uh, in ways that, that build on each other. Um, we also are very careful in thinking about the narratives or the art histories, the plural art histories, about who we are and whose narratives are we telling? And that takes us back to our, our founding story that uh, Amy and I were grad school friends from the Institute of Fine Arts, and we had remained in contact, but we came together in this advocacy project over a sort of 
Facebook argument about a David Brooks article where he basically blamed the demise of the humanities on race, class and gender studies. And I'm not kidding. He really did do that. And uh, and we sort of argued about it. And then we took it off Facebook and continued to discuss it uh, in a kind of epic email conversation. And our work was born there. And um, the idea that David Brooks's narrative of blaming feminists and queer theorists and critical race theorists for the demise of the humanities is on its surface absurd, but it had taken hold and it continues to, to have a kind of hold over what we do. And so we are both um, deeply embedded in uh, feminism, uh, trained as feminist scholars. And so we derived a, um, a way of thinking about narrative through the lens of the uh, theory and praxis of feminism. And um, we're very inspired, for example, by Claire Hemings and the idea that the problem with Western feminism is not feminism, but how feminists tell their own stories. And that perhaps what art history needed to learn from that is that one of the things art history does wrong is it doesn't tell its story very well. And so this actually reminds me of, or it sends my mind to um, uh, Hannah Gadsby's brilliant stand-up Nanette, um, which is, I think, worth mentioning here. Um, she's telling her story in the stand-up routine as, as a lesbian who faced abuse and homophobia growing up in Tasmania and flipping the script of art history, right? She's doing what Hemings advocates, telling the story, for example, of Vincent, of Pablo, differently. And in so doing, she's calling out the ways in which um, we think art history fetishizes mental illness in the case of, of, of Van Gogh and ignores or romanticizes sexually abusive relationships in the case of Picasso. Check out that, that stand-up routine on Netflix. It's worth your time. Yes, and it's uh, sort of gone viral. So yeah. art historians are swooning o over it, but others are, are are noticing it as well. So it really has um, sort of taken the world by storm. Um, so that that concept of narrative and storytelling and um, integrating that into all the questions about identity and uh, where that fits into the practice of, of art history uh, leads us to the second theme that we really wanted to touch on and something that we've identified as being really not perhaps as integrated yet into how we talk about art history, and that's um, how we do our work intersectionally. And art history does get done um, very explicitly with um, thoughts about race, class, gender, uh, ability, all of those different uh, things that fill out the roster of what we mean by intersectionality. But we don't think that there's yet an approach to understand what that looks like and how it acts in the world. So um, uh, so we, we were inspired by, among other things, um, Flavia Zvadin's mantra, my feminism will be intersectional or it will be bullshit. Um, art history will be intersectional or it will be bullshit. And to understand inter intersectionality, we have to understand that art history is by very definition uh, uh, interdisciplinary 
uh, in the way we practice it. And uh, intersectionality is also interdisciplinary and it's a, it's a device, it's an interpretive device, a heuristic, if you will, which um, allows you to shape your narrative, uh, the story you're telling about a work of art or an artist or a movement in ways that recognize all of the different power structures that, mm-hmm. uh, that intervene in our interpretive structures mm-hmm. and how we understand works of art in our scholarship, our pedagogy, our curatorial work, our museum education. Whose stories are we telling from what position uh, do we have a right to tell those stories? Do we need to shut up and listen right. to uh, to others? Right. And we have to hold ourselves accountable to that as well. So we wanted to talk about just a couple of resources for that and some case studies that we think are are doing that really well. And I'll pitch this back to you, Amy, and we can maybe tag team these case studies. Or folks who are doing the work of, uh, who have long been doing the work of intersectionality in the field. Is that sort of what you're thinking? Well, yeah, and and some resources for uh, enhancing our own our own work. All right, so definitely want to signal boost CAA's um, committee on diversity practices, um, particularly their resource directory for diversity practices, um, where you can find resources for classroom. Um, for the classroom, including image databases and sample syllabi. You can also, if you have things to contribute to that, you can you can submit your contribution there on the website. Um, and as many of you know, CAA recently hired um, Roberto Tejada as the new VP for um, diversity and inclusion. And we recommend the recently posted interview with Dr. Tejada in which he states, I found this quite eloquent and it actually relates back to our discussion of narrative before. He states, the promotion of diversity and inclusion involves redressing an entanglement of past narratives, but with a steady eye on the present and future. Uh, Yeah, uh, another place where this work has to be done, of course, is in our conferences. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of of discourses about mantles, you know, all male panels or uh, uh, whether, uh, you know, various aspects of a a discipline are being um, given a platform in the conferences. And we were really inspired by the Babel Working Group uh, uh, drafting an open letter about uh, Kalamazoo, the International Congress of Medieval Studies, and their concern about bias against the critical reflections that are such an important part of medieval studies right now, and how medieval studies is being co-opted and appropriated by um, uh, false narratives about white supremacy, and that there's a kind of lack of transparency in how the conference is recognizing and making sure that that is being voiced in this, you know, one of their their biggest um uh, convenings of the year. And then in museum practices as well, uh, we've been in, really inspired by a young scholar named Latanya Autry, who, among other things, has launched with her partner, um, uh, Michael Murkowski, the hashtag museums are not neutral, but also has um, um, put into the public sphere a crowdsourced Google Doc, uh, which anyone is welcome to draw from and also to add to called uh, Social Justice and Museums Resource List. And um, so those are things that are readily available out there for people advocate who want to advocate in kind of all the aspects of art history um, toward a more um, 
intersectional discipline. Um, hashtag, I am for an art history that holds itself accountable. How are we, Amy and I ask this question, as uh, white, cis, able-bodied, tenured women, how are we responsible for spending our own privilege, cap privilege capital? It's a great question. And I also, I just want to note, Karen, that I noticed that you just posted um, to the Art History Teaching Resources um, Facebook page, the, the resource list that you just mentioned, Latanya Autry's resource list, like 15 minutes ago you did that. I did. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a great list. We recommend that you contribute to it, but it kind of set my mind also to, um, to the realm of social media and um, ways in which you can follow um, these conversations on social media. So we recommend that you follow Latanya Autry on Twitter and on Instagram. Her handle is art stuff, at Art Stuff Matters. Um, we also recommend um, Kimberly Drew, um, who is also on Twitter and Instagram, um, at Museum Mammy. As many of you know, she works as the social media manager at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and um, is working especially um, to, diversity, to diversify the Met's audience, not only across race, class, and gender lines, but also ability, gender, expression, sexual orientation, age, etc. Um, so we encourage you to follow um, her as well. So naming our own social identities, as Karen just did, poses the complexities of another of our key terms, and that has to do with community and community building. How are we defining community? Uh, what does community assume? Do we build communities amongst those with whom we largely agree, disagree? or are community safe havens or holding spaces for the like-minded? Um, we would say yes and yes. The necessity is for differences within the community. So our keywords seek to smooth the road towards such, and these are um, Karen's words, uh, blissful entanglements. Um, all of this is in pursuit of communities across geographical, disciplinary, real, and sometimes imagined divides. And so additional questions might be, what does authentic community building look like? Where does it happen? Why do we show up? Why do we stay? And what, sort, what does this sort of learning ask of us in community? I think at its best, our work um, reaches for an expanded definition of community, one that is shaped by a plurality of cultures and intersectional identities. It's a definition of community that can be fraught and painful and awkward um, and also full of, of grace. It demands our vulnerability, and it is where we must locate ourselves in the hard work of learning and living together. Um, in fact, we see a lot of what the work that we do as interrogating this concept of community and um, acknowledging the fact that building communities in, in a very fractured world is uh, uh, not something that's done easily. And again, art historians don't necessarily think of themselves as a community until, you know, once a year when we have a convening or, or um, in smaller groups of people who actually do, do their work collaboratively in the digital humanities, for example. But um, our manifesto, which of course, as, I, as we talked about, is crowdsourced, so it's intended to give everyone a stake. Uh, is a 21st century instrument for community building, using social media, using um, the ability to communicate uh, in the digital realm. And so um, sentences from our 
from our manifesto have been solicited at every event we've ever gone to, and we're going to solicit them from you listening here as well. So uh, the the sentences there on our website uh, that begin with I am for an art history that represent the ideas of uh, those brand new to the discipline that is our own students who get extra credit for doing it. <laughs> and that some of the most famous art historians in, uh, in the world are represented there too. And all their names are listed at the bottom, but the sentences themselves are uh, anonymous. Mm. I am for an art history that draws everyone into open conversations that art can launch wherever they lead us. I am for an art history that is like a jam session for artists, scholars, curators, and collectors. And in fact, we held a jam session just like that. Uh, the one time we actually did a live reading of the manifesto where everyone got a note card and we went around this huge conference room and one person at a time shouted out, I am for an art history that inspires the lay public and engages the scholarly community. I am for an art history that is non-hierarchical and collegial. So again, we wanted to drop uh, some names of people that we think genuinely do the sort of work that we value and that uh, builds community by sh sharing resources, that sort of thing. Starting with one that Amy just uh, dropped the name of a minute ago, Art History Teaching Resources, which uh, was launched to emphasize the academic labor of pedagogy and to uh, recognize that that academic labor could be better valued if we weren't so protective about our own materials. And so they openly share on their website, on their Facebook page, resources, uh, course, course syllabi and uh, lesson plans, all sorts of resources that, um, uh, that create a collectivity rather than the individual's own individual property, uh, intellectual property being held so closely and tightly. Mm -hmm. Tossing it back to you, Amy. Sure. We also um, have, have done a lot of collaboration with material, the material collective. Um, as many of you know, a group of um, primarily medievalists um, who um, one of the values that they that they've articulated in their own manifesto um, and one that we really very much admire is is one of um, collegiality um, and collegiality defined as the relationship between colleagues. Colleagues are those explicitly united in a common purpose and respected um, of each other's abilities to work towards that, that purpose. Um, they also really um, put a, a wonderful emphasis on conviviality um, as well, which, which we've seen in the work that we've done together with them, including um, co-creating um, with, with Jen Borland in the Material Collective, um, a hashtag campaign called Art History Engaged. Karen, do you want to say a few things about that? So we're very interested in... Um you know, the sort of broader discourse about um, um, publicly engaged scholarship, social practice in the art world, um, the idea that there's this drive for scholars to make their work more accessible to the public, which is questionable at best, but then also thinking of ways that we've been seeing that done that really are beneficial both to the discipline of art history and the publics that it serves. Some are um, are explicit, others are less noticeable, and so we actually went out and actively sought 
people doing what we considered um, socially engaged art history. We participated in a conference session, then we sponsored another one, and we launched the hashtag, hashtag art history engaged, to uh, keep a, a, a trail, a digital trail, if you will, which is the great the great thing about hashtag advocacy, uh, of the people doing that and labeling it engaged art history so that we can go back and track it and signal boost it and amplify it for people who are doing things um, that way. And Jen Borland, who we collaborated with, uh, with, with her, her um, colleague Louise Siddons, did a great example of that, which was both pedagogy and public engagement by getting their students involved in the public process of choosing public sculpture in city squares at, at Oklahoma State University. And um, they, so they both made it into a pedagogical, pedagogical experiment where their students recognize that public sculpture is supposed to have a public part to it so that it's not just chosen by a closed door committee. And then also by bringing art history into the public square and saying, hey, we're the art historians in town. We want to say in what goes up in our public squares, please not another Frederick Remington. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another um, example of uh, someone who we've worked with um, along these lines, um, Alex Bortelot, who um, is a content specialist at the Minneapolis Institute of Art, uh, several years ago initiated a project um, with uh, elders in the Som our local Somali community in, the, in Minneapolis, um, as well as um, the University of, of Minnesota um, in a project called Digital Diaspora, Reuniting the Arts of Islamic Somalia, which was a collaborative um, enterprise um, around knowledge creation and, and curation um, that brought um, that brought voices um, normally not encountered in um, in the museum space um, into kind of direct contact with objects in the collection. Um, so that would be another um, example we would point to. Um, Minneap the, the Minneapolis Institute of Art also has um, an initiative that I'm just reminded of as we're talking um, that, that I think is also very much along the lines of art history engaged, and that is their, their news flash initiative where they um, temporarily will flag works of art in the collection that have some connection to um, questions and topics that are um, very urgent in the news um, right now. So that's another way to make connection between um, works of art that sit on their ass in a museum <laughs> and the world around us, right? Um, Karen, back to you. Yeah, yeah, we want to give a big signal boost to our colleagues across the pond. Um, what we know as AAH or the Association of Art Historians recently changed their name to the Association for Art History. And putting that for in there acknowledges that they are, in fact, uh, in existence as an advocacy organization for those who do art history. And we've been watching them carefully for a couple of years for things that they do that we aspire to do two initiatives in particular art history in the pub taking mm -hmm. uh taking art history out of the classroom or out of the museum and putting it in the pub and inviting that kind of conviviality and then uh, launching an art history fair which we want to do uh, one of these years what that would look like but we also we have a great deal to learn from them about how they jumped into advocacy across a number of different constituencies to save the A-level in, in their, um, in their uh, colleges, um, which was going to be dropped by the one testing organization. And the advocacy that they launched for that 
dovetailed on advocacy they had already been doing around art history and created this kind of perfect storm of public facing, mm -hmm. very um, um, prominent a defense of art history by some of the most famous art historians in uh, Great Britain, Griselda Pollock being one. And they, they did it. They saved the A-level, which basically preserves those people who want to uh, test out in art history, just sort of like our AP, uh, so that they can they can uh, keep that as one of the, the, the testing subjects. It was a great, um, a great success. Absolutely. So uh, we're, we're coming to sort of the end of the themes that we wanted to talk about. Karen, yeah, go ahead. Um, one of the things that I'm, that I'm thinking about too, as we're kind of sharing with, with you all, um, uh, folks, collectives, individuals in the field who are doing the work on behalf of the future of our history. I think I want to stress that, that Karen and I um, like, like to think of ourselves or fancy ourselves as curators, although we do that with a lot of humility because neither one of us are um, professional curators in the museum sense, but what 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 we aim to do in our work, we we don't pretend to have solutions on behalf of the future of our history, but we um, are um, are uh, we've developed a, a kind of a sense of discernment for identifying um, folks who are who do have solutions, who are paving the way forward, and so that's part of our work together. And, and what you'll find on our website are, are promising initiatives, historical initiatives by individuals and collectives collectives who are doing this work, who, who have long since, in some cases, been doing this work and, um, and could use the signal boost. So I just wanted to kind of point that point. Yeah, that. absolutely. Our logo is designed to um, present us as a, a megaphone mm -hmm. and chain reactions. Yeah. So, uh, so even the visual component of our branding is intended to convey that we see ourselves as aggregators of good ideas and then megaphones for those good ideas. And this podcast, you know, continues that work. So, um, we're really pleased to have been asked to do it. So, um, so to, to transition to it into our sort of last subject that we want to talk about is that we both believe that it's really important to keep a sense of joy and wonder in the work that we do to advocate for our discipline. We didn't get into it uh, for any reason other than that deep curiosity and, and constant surprise at the, the ways in which works of art can, uh, can blow our minds and, and um, uh, fill our hearts. So um, we picked out a couple of, uh, of manifesto lines that we particularly think um, uh, demonstrate this. I am for an art history that can hear a pin drop. I am for an art history that wakes me up loudly every morning with its incessant ringing, ready to take on the world. Amy, I give you the last one. Oh, I love this one. I am for an art history that crushes on Corbet. <laughs> art history that. <laughs> um, go ahead. So, We've heard in many of our conversations that the CAA conference could do with a little more conviviality, you know, a dance perhaps or something, something more than a reception so that it's not just professional networking where joy prevails. Right. Uh, we have a model that we know works because we did it at the CCAT conference. It involves charades and art history. Tableau <laughs> vivant, anyone? Right. Show me your best Nikkei of Samothrace. And that's a good hat tip to Beyonce at the moment, for those of you who know the Ape Shit video. Uh, amazing video. 
Uh, we want to leave you with some action items. Um, please, please add to our manifesto. You can um, tweet your sentence or sentences using the hashtag I am foreign art history that. Um, or you can send us them um, via email, I am foreign art history that at gmail.com. You could also um, um, send them to us uh, directly or um, and follow us as well on um, Facebook. Um, we're always looking forward uh, or looking for ways to build our community. And we'd love um, to hear from some of you. We'll be participating in CAA this February at the session um, called State of the Art History, Engaging Difficult Topics in and Out of the Classroom. Um, and we also encourage you, of course, to visit CAA's website in particular to visit their advocacy toolkit for ways to get involved. So I think we're going to dedicate this podcast to our mentor, Linda Nochlin, who we lost last year and the world is emptier for that. And uh, leave you with one last sentence from our manifesto. And this one we're going to attribute authorship to. It was submitted by Linda Nochlin. And we think it sums up uh, everything that we hope you take away from this podcast. Thank you for listening. I am for an art history that is clear in its perceptions, wedded to reason, deeply felt, and yet leaves room for self-criticism, irony, and a touch of wildness. Art history that. Yes, indeed. Amy and Karen, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thank you, Ellen.